right. Well, we have a, a special edition of Dirt Talk today. It's not the traditional, normal interview format. And it's actually a guest we've had before on the show, just a few episodes ago, Mr. Herb Sargent of Sergeant Corp. Dan Briscoe, he he messaged me over the weekend saying, hey, we're amid this this crisis going on. We've been talking to all the owners. Why don't you have some of them on the podcast to talk about how they're responding to the current coronavirus crisis going on in the United States right now, and then talk to them about how they're preparing for a downturn and, and what advice they have for other business owners and what they've done themselves in the past as well. And immediately I thought of Herb as a, a fantastic person to talk to about the subject. So I appreciate you giving us uh, some more of your time here. Hey, glad to be on again, Aaron. I think mainly it's because I'm like three times older than the rest of you folks, but Oh, must have all this wisdom built up. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's a that's a piece of it. That's a piece of it. <laughs> yeah, that and you know, a lot of people really, really enjoyed um, your your really honest feedback on the on the last podcast. So I think people would be excited to to listen to you here again. Now, well, thank you. I'm just trying to make a, a light subject out of something that's a little bit heavier, but it's heavy. It's heavy. So what? How are you guys responding to to the crisis? I don't want to. I want to touch more on, you know, how you've prepared your business for an economic downturn, but how are you responding and keeping your people healthy and, and safe during this time? In order to keep everybody safe, we've, we've done a few things. People coming back from vacation can't go immediately to work. They've got to have a quarantine time before they come back to work and, and depends on where they've been. A lot of our folks travel during the week for works and, and we put them up in double occupancy hotel rooms. So we've changed that. We made it single occupancy for the foreseeable future. We've also rented those rooms through the weekend so that they don't have people coming in, you know, over the weekend. So our our folks have it basically week round. That's been like the biggest policy change we've made in terms of our offices not shut down, but a lot of our administrative staff is working from home, our estimators and PMs are in here just because it's so difficult to transport everything they have, plans and, and everything else, the house. We're also uh, really watching the cash close and making sure that we, if we've got receivables that are starting to stretch out some, we're trying to keep an eye on that and make sure that, I think these things are going to get harder and harder to, to collect the further and further they get out. So yep. we're, we're trying to keep a really close eye on that. Now, are your jobs been impacted at all, or are you still running pretty much across the board? We haven't had a real busy winter. Well, for instance, up here today, I think it was 12 degrees when I woke up. So, you know, that impacts what we can do in the wintertime. But we have had some projects ask us to go to four-day weeks, uh, and we haven't really figured out what's behind that. But most of our public work, we do a lot of highway and airport work, and most of that work remains unimpacted. As yet, although we're hearing some kind of talk about, you know, the inspectors don't want to be on the job sites and be exposed. So the industry seems to be working toward some kind of a compromise on that video inspections and that sort of stuff. So, so we're working our way through those things. This is just, well, you know, it's changing every, every day. Yeah. Is there any potential for a total shutdown or it's just, you have no idea? I don't think there will be. Uh, we're in Virginia also, and, and we just uh, just learned about an hour ago that the governor has named construction as one of the types of businesses, the essential businesses that needs to keep going. 
and I, I think, I mean, obviously it's self-serving for me and our folks, but I, I think that's good. I mean, the, the less we can impact the economy, the better off we are. And yeah. assuming all these projects need to be built, right, then they need to be built. And in our work, typically, I call it occupational distancing. We're not very close anyways. Mm-hmm. So uh, provided we have the, the safeguards in, in place to sterilize everything and, and keep working, then we should be good. And you guys are in multiple states. So how are you communicating with the whole team during this? Because I know communication, it's vital regardless of what's going on in the world. But, but right now it's extremely important. It starts with you and how do you get the new policies and changes and information down the chain of command to, to different states from, you, you know, you're in Maine down to Virginia. How how's that been playing out? We came in a week ago Saturday, the, the leadership team and, and me, we went down through and, and put together, you know, the, everything we could put together, uh, everything we knew. We literally emailed that out. We didn't want to, we didn't want to rely completely on the chain of command. So we, we wanted everybody to have the information. So we emailed those memos out to everyone. And then within two days, there was more information. So we emailed more memos out to everyone. And we've asked our superintendents and our, our leaders in the shop to talk to our folks and review that information. And then last Friday, we uh, we decided we got an inspiration from you, Aaron, and we decided to, to do a podcast. And and one of the things is, is the, you know, the communication we send out, the, the mail we send out, it's hard to get a good warm feeling from that. I mean, if I were Mark Twain, I couldn't, I couldn't put the right feeling, the right inflection in it. And the feedback we got from, from the podcast, which went out Friday, and it looks like probably 80% of our employees downloaded it, was that it was, it was really good. And, you know, they could tell that we had fun on the podcast, but there were serious matters we had to discuss. But in the end, we're all in this together. And that's, that's the one thing that I hear over and over that has got to be true is that we're all in this together. Yeah. And to get that message out there that, we're going to work through this. We feel really good about our backlog. We have strong backlog and so feel good about getting through it. And that's how we communicate it. Okay. Now going into, and you had sent me some notes here, you know, your very first point you make is the owner is the first one to make sacrifices. And and this is important. And I would have brought this up even if you didn't write this down because we had our, you know, round table coming up April 1st and we had, we had, sent a note out to to all the executives coming a few weeks back before this had really unfolded the way it has saying, you know, Hey, unless there's any major development, we're still planning on having it. You you said, you know, yep, I'll be coming as long as well as every other executive. And then you had, you had messaged me about a week ago now before we had officially um, postponed the event saying, you know, Hey, we just enacted this policy that, that doesn't allow people to, you know, cuts back on travel and, 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 I need to be following that. So I can't, I can't come out to the meeting because of, you know, this new policy our company has you as the owner of the company could have easily said, well, that just doesn't apply to me yet. You were the first one impacted by that. It sounds like an obvious question, but I feel like it just doesn't play out in reality like this. Why is the owner the first one to have to make the sacrifices? I just think it's important. I mean, it's hard to get people to follow if you don't, if you don't lead the right way. And, yeah, and uh, you know, that was, I believe the afternoon that we we made the decision. We banned all travel, uh, all company travel. And I said, well, this is, this is the deal. It's, it's got to happen this way. Sometimes when you head, head off to a 
to a warmer climate, it looks like a little bit of a junket anyways to people. Yep. And for me to declare no travel and then just to head off to, I think you said to me yesterday, it was 70 degrees down there and I'm freezing my ass off up here. But yeah. <laughs> So, you know, to me, I've seen scenarios unfold in the past where you can almost see the, the ship is sinking and, you know, the owner goes out and buys a new uh, Cadillac or something like that. And it's just not the right time to do that. You have to you have to show you're in with everybody else. Okay. Now we were just talking before the podcast, and I think you know business owners. Obviously, the very first concern of theirs is the health and well being of their people, and and that's where my mind you know went to first. And then once once you've you know done as much as you can there, and and continue to do as much as you can how this as the situation unfolds, your mind immediately then goes to money and keeping the business going and what the economic impacts of this are going to be. So I want to talk to you about just preparing for a downturn, coronavirus or no coronavirus, economic downturns are a reality of, of life and business. How have you prepared for a potential economic downturn? How have you prepared your business for something like this? So we started meeting about eight months ago and literally had meetings with all our management and we called it contingency planning. You know, the idea that, I mean, we can only keep going up and up and up so long, right? Something's going to happen. Yeah. And uh, we sure didn't see this, you know, to be very clear, we didn't see this. But we did see that there were different signs out there. And uh, through some of the some of the consultants that we work with, FMI and others, you know, it's like, okay, things are starting to soften up a little bit. So we started to to make plans. We started to look really closely at our backlog and really closely at what do we have for assets around here that are kind of legacy assets that don't really, it's like having a pet oxen out front, you know, all you do is feed him and he doesn't. So we monetized a few of those things. We had a couple pieces of real estate that we sold. The bottom line is I'm trying to generate cash because yeah. cash is the only thing that's going to get you through. Yeah. So we started doing that about eight months ago and knowing the backlog in our customers, we, decided to, to try to lean a little bit to, more toward public work than commercial work because the public work just has a little bit more certainty to it. And then I guess part of that all is determining what's in our control. And because, I mean, that's the only thing we can do, right? The things we can control, we've got to determine what's outside our control, what's inside our control, and and try to mitigate those things. So cleaning up the backlog, making sure our receivables are, are up to date, and having, when I say cleaning up the backlog, having a strong backlog, and then having a real good look at the pipeline. So that, why is cash so important to a business owner, especially in a crisis? In a crisis, it's, I mean, it's the only thing that will get you through. You, you need to, as a contractor, we need to have some pretty good friends in the financial world, the surety companies, in the banks, obviously. And the surety companies are are highly interested in your ability to make it. Right, because they're writing an insurance policy on, they're guaranteeing if, if you don't make it, then then they're going to step in. Mm-hmm. So they're very honest, very interested in that. They got skin in the game. So showing that showing that you got adequate work and capital is really important. And the other thing, I mean, if if this thing just stops, a business is really no different than than a household. It's just bigger and more complex. You know, if if all of a sudden I've got a house payment and a car payment, and suddenly my my pay goes away. I lose my job. I need something there to, to backfill that uh, that income. 
And so that's what this is for us. We, we just look for ways to conserve cash. Gotcha. Now there's companies, I mean, even this has always happened historically with construction, especially I feel like where construction companies, they, they ramp up very aggressively during good times, hire as many people as they can find. And then when the market turns, they, they lay a lot of those people off. And so they just hire, fire, hire, fire, hire, fire. It's this, it's this crazy cycle. And I've seen it play out at a lot of companies. How do you view that? And how do you make sure you have the people to do the work during the good times, but also can keep those people busy and keep fulfilling their paychecks during bad times? Yeah, that's a that's a big concern. And, and of course, in Maine here, we're much more seasonal than a lot of folks. Yeah. And most of our folks do take the winter off. And over the past 10 years, in the, in the last downturn, we had a lot of retirements that come, and, and I think we're still going to have that coming up. Folks in my generation are, are getting to retirement age. And so that's part of what tempered our workforce issues, not having too many back in, say, 10, 11, 12. Although we did have a really strong backlog through, say, 2012. So keeping a backlog, a long backlog, is probably the best antidote to a crisis, to a recession. In in the last one, we had a good, good backlog. In this one, we, we have an even better backlog than we did last time. So, you know, we've got work out into the end of 2021 now, and we're looking at some in, two, in 2022. So just trying to keep that backlog strong and really do a good job predicting what our, what our self-perform needs are for the course of, you know, the next 18 months is, and we've been, we've really improved our ability to do that. Gotcha. And then can you explain just what backlog is for people that don't know that what that term is? Yeah. Backlog is work I have left to do. So as an example, we have a project at the main trunk bike authority to build a, a new overload tolling plaza. We started that this past summer. We're probably 20 to 30% complete on that. It's a $30 million job. So we've got, uh, and we've got about $20 million in backlog left. So that's the contract work that we haven't haven't completed yet. Now, you've been doing this a while. So you've seen good times and you've seen bad times. What are the mistakes you've seen companies make during good times that, that catches them off guard during bad times? Well, my grandfather used to have a saying that contractors don't get in trouble in the bad times. They get in trouble in the good times. Uh. And it manifests itself in the bad times. Yeah. So some of those mistakes are growing overhead too much, overspending on on equipment or other resources, you know, and when the money's flying in, it's easy to make sense of all that. But, you know, when the money stops flying in and all of a sudden, you know, the payments keep coming along and the overhead, you know, you have to keep churning through those those folks, putting into place costs in your overhead that are not easily unboltable. So we, we do have a few things that we've been spending money on that we've said, you know, we're going to keep doing this, but if we hit a recession, this is going to have to be one of the things we're going to have to unbolt and say that won't happen. So there's a number of those things. And just try not to uh, try not to allow the company to, to take on so much baggage that it, it can't slog through the mud too. Okay. And is that like in the form of debt and, and equipment and all that, like you just talked about? Yeah, debt. Uh, I well, I know some people are. I've, I've watched a couple of contractors go out of business because they built a big office. 
Mm. Um, you know, and, and the office doesn't move dirt and another, a number of other probably excessive spending habits that, that a, a lot of guys feel like, Hey, I made it, you know, let's, let's spend some. And, uh, you know, I've got my share of toys. I'm not going to judge anybody on that, but you have to have your business right and right size. Gotcha. On the public versus private, why is the public work what you want to go after? You know, prepare yourself. Why Why is it more stable during bad times than private work? Well, I'll give you a couple examples real quick. In, in 2006 and seven, we were doing about $25 million a year in subdivisions down in north central Virginia. And we kept hearing about the housing bubble, housing bubble. And so we went to our manager down there and we said, okay, we need to rotate completely out of the housing business and get back into landfill construction, airport construction. And we were very, very fortunate because early in 2008, we had completed all our contracts. And of course, in 2008 was when it, it fell apart. The one thing we didn't pick up on is, is we went into landfill construction and we do a lot of that. And we've always done a lot of that. But the thing we didn't uh, plan for is, you know, nobody's selling 60-inch TVs, so there's no 70-inch boxes to throw away. Yeah. So, you know, when the economy went down, all of a sudden the waste streams and the landfills went down. Really? And uh, and so, you know, it has, it, there's a, it's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, you, you push down one place and it comes up at another. But, but trying to understand that the public market will probably be there and, and will probably have the funds to pay you. Whereas you can get stretched out on private work, and this is clearly, you know, not everybody. There's some very strong private clients out there too. But if you get into people that are very speculative in their developments, then it's it's easy to get out there maybe a little ways and, and find yourself having to lean a project that that doesn't end up working out. And and we did have one of those projects back in the last downturn. Uh, I was very proud of the fact that I, I think before that I'd been stiffed for like $250 in my whole career. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this guy took us for 250000 uh, It wasn't pleasant. Yeah. Now, has there ever been a time in your business, you know, you're, you're prepared, you're somewhat prepared for this downturn. You, you were planning eight months ago for some kind of downturn at some point, you know, again, you could, you didn't foresee what, what what's happening right now, but you were somewhat prepared for it. Has there been a time in, in in business where it was it was pretty pretty damn tight, and you were pretty nervous about you know, hey, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen as the as far as the economy goes, or have you always been pretty sound? No, in the early days when I was in business, you know, back in the nineties, it was it was touch and go. I was actually looking at some of my financial statements back in those days, and uh, the other day and, and, uh, I didn't realize how close to the edge I was. You know, my, my dad always used to say, there's no probably dancing close to the, no problem dancing close to the edge as long as you know where the edge is. Mm. And I, I think I, I didn't quite appreciate how close to the edge I was <laughs> in a couple of times there. But in 1997, I remember we, that was the first year we lost money as a company and, and I had to do some soul searching there and, and, uh, and figure out how to, how to make it work again. And, you know, with some help from the bank and some, you know, some financing, we pulled it together and, and we're able to, able to pull it, you know, pull it out of that. But, 
there was some really thin time payroll wise when, when we're writing the checks and okay, do we have that money? Hmm. Now you said you started your business during bad economic times. What, yeah. what was that like? And, and I guess that's, that's toward the more optimistic view on this because in bad times, there's a lot sure. of opportunities. And I mean, you started your whole business in bad times. I guess, why did you think that that was a okay time to do that? And why was it a, a, actually a good thing starting your business in, in, a, in a bad economic time? So I was, as, as you and I have talked, I was inside the family business for, for years and the family business sold. So there were a few reasons that I decided to leave. I just felt like there was an opportunity. I Really, I said to myself, if a guy can just go do what he says he's going to do, he could probably do pretty well. Mm. And so so that's kind of what I left with. And it was a really slow start. I mean, I can remember bidding a dozen projects, two or $300,000 projects, and not being anywhere within earshot of winning a job. Finally, a, a Walmart was being built. It was, I think, the first one in Maine. And so I said, well, you know, I've got no, I've got no uh, advantage over these small guys, but on this bigger job, I've got an advantage. I've got no overhead because it was just me. Mm. So I bid the job and, and won the job. And uh, so it was like a $3 million project at the time. And then it was time to go to work because I didn't even know a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> so it probably wasn't that difficult to find people during a downturn for work, right? Yeah, so I did know a few people, and our workforce advancement director, Kevin Gordon, was had, had left the company too, and he was he had a job teaching. So I, in my the way I say it, I saved him from that for the rest of his life. So he joined us, and then you know I, I ran an ad in the paper. This my brother and I started this business, and we ran an ad in the paper, and I think within a week we had a couple hundred applicants and rounded out a crew in really no time. I mean, I had a I had all I needed in inside of two weeks. No kidding. So it was different, much, much different than that way than this is. Well, so now, but this is now. so that goes to now, and you made a note about this, you know, continue to develop people during a downturn and, and hiring and all that. Why is it important when you're, you're struggling to just meet payroll to continue developing and investing in people? Because that's, I mean, many business owners might, might see that as a place to cut and cut back. Why push on that during a downturn? Because that's the mistake I made in the last downturn. Uh. So, so you guys all get to learn from me on this. In the last downturn, we did not bring in new people. And as a result, we've got like an age band in the company that's not populated. And those are the people, if we had developed then, we probably could do 50% more work now. But we did not spend the money. We did not underpin the retiring ranks very well. When I look back at that last recession, that was my big mistake. And developing people isn't, it doesn't have to be expensive. How so? In fact, you could say not not developing them is actually more expensive. It doesn't have to be expensive. You fatten your payroll up some, but if we had invested more back in, in 2011, 12, 13, 14, if we'd invested more back then, we'd be much better off right now, I believe. That's amazing. And I guess it's yeah. it's in the downturn, it's it's actually a good time to hire key people too, because there might be some people that would not be on the market otherwise in a really good That's economy. True. Yep. Huh. 
that, that is true. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't hope this for any second, but I always hope our competitors survive these things uh, and, and, and we all learn something from them. Yeah. But the personnel situation, certainly will, there'll be less stress on that. Why hope your competitors make it through something like this? And to me, it makes perfect sense. I, I, I understand why, but why that's, that's not conventional wisdom. You know, why, why hope that everyone makes it through? Because they make us better, frankly. Let's just take a sports analogy. If you were on a, if you were on a football field and there was nobody there to defend you and that was the game and you just did that over and over and over before long guys would show up fat and, and out of shape, right? Because there's no challenge. Mm. So, you know, the competition makes us better. They, they make us look inside and, and do some self-inspection and make sure we're, you know, we're doing what we need to do. The execution piece of this, we haven't really touched on, but nothing, the thing you need to work on before the economy goes to hell is the execution piece Hmm. and then double down on it when, you know, when a downturn comes. Double down on it. Now, what, so what kind of advice apart from what we just talked about, do you have for business owners during you know, and maybe, maybe they weren't like you and they've prepared for the past eight months for something potential to happen. And they're starting to get a little nervous about what's going on, or I mean, potentially even laying people off right now. Cause I know that's already happening in our industry. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for them? They have to evaluate the stability of the part of the market pipeline. They have to really give that, you know, a lot of, a lot of attention. Is the pipeline real? So they got to evaluate the stability of the pipeline. They got to know what can go, what can you offload? It's like, you know, in a, in a boat or a plane, if it's too heavy, what can you offload to make it survive mm. and what has to stay? And, you know, to me, a core purpose and values really helps. Mm. It makes that decision for you. They have to, I think, make key decision points based on, you know, some real data. For instance, you know, we always, if, if our work, if our backlog looks weak and the prospects look weak, we always have a plan B to, uh, you know, okay, we're going to deploy these folks to the field to kind of shrink our overhead to match the market. We're going to really see, we always have a plan B. We've never had to, to pull that cord yet, but we've always had the plan B. You have to consider all these, all these different things in the context of what I'd call cascading worsening scenarios. In other words, if my sales are, if my sales are X now and they're going to be 0.8 X in a year, 0.6 X in a year, you just need to kind of look at all those various scenarios and be prepared to continue to, to make more decisions, tough decisions and doing all that meeting with your bank and meeting with your bonding company and ask them to poke holes in everything you've, everything that you've done. Is there a balance to that though, being realistic versus optimistic? Because if you're think if you're sitting there thinking of every bad thing that can happen, is there is there a downside to that? I mean, there's probably a balance to it, isn't there? Well, there's there's a balance, but there's I mean, it, it's good to know if things get really bad. Yeah. So another piece of wisdom from from my dad was if you keep an eye on the downside, the upside will take care of itself. Mm. And so I mean, no, nobody nobody has to react in any urgency if you have more money in the bank than you thought you were going to. Yeah. That's a good point. It's always the other way around. Uh, okay. So now what would going to the 
the laborer, the operator in the field right now, who's, who has some anxiety about what's going on and, and, you know, worrying about what does this mean for me and my family long-term and what, what do you have to say to them? You know, what's that message you're trying to get out to everyone at your, your company, that personal message about what's going on beyond just the company? So a few things, number one, conserve cash. Mm. And if, if you just like in a business, if you've got things going on in your life, in your personal life that aren't necessary, it's probably time to, to shed those and find something that doesn't cost as much. Mm. So conserve cash. And the focus I've had with our people and, the, and you know what I'd tell anyone is if you bring value, if you bring value, then it's going to be very difficult to cut you loose. Mm. And when you look around the people around you, and and you see people that are bringing more value than you, then it's time to bring more value. Gotcha. And that's that's really the thing that as individuals we can control is is we can control how much value we bring. So you know, just I guess as, as James Clear says, continue to be reliable in a valuable area. And okay. we, it's it's the people that that you know don't bring value that that are the ones that find themselves usually on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what, what advice do you have for someone that's been on the fence about starting a company and now is looking at this like, Oh crap, you know, there's just no way I'll be able to start a company now, you know, with this. And and now my plan is I have my perfect plan. Now there's a wrench in it, you know, with the economy and I'm not going to be able to do this. What, what, what do you have to say to someone like that? Well, I mean, I already said that I started my own business in a bad economy. So if I told people not to do it, that would be disingenuous. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but this is a little, this particular situation is a little bit different. And because I listened to an economist actually today, but he was, uh, Tasha and I were talking about him in our podcast on Friday. And he feels like this is going to be a really steep economic drop but he feels like it's going to be fairly short and a steep return back to maybe not where we have been, but back to a more reasonable. I, I think a lot of people would tell you this has not even been a reasonable economy. So the idea, his idea, is it, it, it will be coming back soon. I'm going to say, he didn't say how many months, but I got, you know, within a year. Maybe that's just totally crazy optimistic. I don't know. But his point is that there's going to be a lot of pent up demand, and you know, when this thing finally works itself through. Mm. Having had the education that I have since I started my business, I would say, you know, if you can hang on until you can see that uptick, and then maybe pull the trigger, that might be a better way to go. And just really, in the meantime, get your business plan, you know, make it bulletproof and continue to to build up some cash reserves so that when you do start, you know, if, if you have good opportunities, you can take advantage of them. There's a lot of anxiety and, and, and stress happening right now. Is there anything that, what gives you anxiety? Is there, is there something that worries you on the big picture side of things, on the macro side of things, or, or are you just, you know, focused on executing the plan you've been executing all along? Absolutely. There's some anxiety in, in the big picture side of things. I mean, we, we're very fortunate. For instance, if this thing only lasts for a year or so, the way this one economist is talking, you know, we probably got a pretty good bridge across that mm-hmm. with the backlog we have now. You know, we're not 
it's not like Indiana Jones on a on a rope bridge that's you know going to fall in. So we've got a pretty good backlog. So you know, I'm I'm still watching all that, keeping an eye on that. Just the anxiety I have right now is just how quickly things change. And we were running around here Friday thinking there may be just a total lockdown and nobody's even going to be able to go to the office. So we're running around with people, setting people up with laptops that have desktops and so they can work from home. But really the, the overarching is, is people. You know, you and I have had a chance to talk a few times and, and I don't think it's any secret the the love that I have for the people that work here in our business and and what we've got I feel is pretty special and you know I I want us we mentioned last time we're going to be 100 years old in a few years you know I, I want us to start talking about our 200th anniversary mm. not holy shit we're going to make it to 100 yeah <laughs> and we are we are in real good shape our cash position is the best it's ever been our plan is working, uh, and I don't say that in a boastful way. I, I I only say it because I may have left the impression earlier that we're not. But just making sure we can we can support the folks that that go out there and churn for us every day. That's that's the, that's the big thing. We'll wrap up here pretty quick. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but sure. When when your mind starts to wander and you start to get into that anxious mindset and it's just very busy, how do you how do you calm yourself down? How do you slow yourself down and and look at the facts and and act on on certain things rather than just give in to fear? Well, more and more, uh, and I've never been throughout my whole life. I've never been a, a very religious person, but more and more, I'm I'm praying mm. and. Uh, you know, I emailed a few of our team yesterday afternoon and asked them if we could pray at the flagpole in the front yard this morning, and we did. And, you know, that's not giving it all up to God. We've got to do our work, too. But, you know, when it's in the middle of the night, and, and I've had a lot of sleepless nights in the last couple of weeks, yeah, like most business owners and business managers, it's just try to go to a place where, you know, you, you it crowds all that stuff out. and And for me... You know, that's, that's what prayer has been for me. Hmm. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. I Time to go pray. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do need to spend more time doing that these days. I've never been. Well. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time. And hopefully this was helpful to somebody out there, even if it's just one person who has a little bit of anxiety or it's helpful for me. You know, as just a young business owner, I've only been doing this for two years and my brain's not even fully developed. So I'm still just trying to figure out <laughs> how to tie my shoes. Well, also, also you haven't killed all your brain cells yet either. So. <laughs> you know, that is a good point. Yep. Double-edged sword. You, you don't have, you don't have three decades of scotch behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, look, you guys are doing such a great job out there, Aaron, the different things you're trying to do to help not just your own customers, but everybody in the industry really says a lot about you and, and the group you're working with. I feel very gifted that I'm, I'm able to be involved with you guys. Well, I appreciate that. We feel equally the same to, to have you along, along the journey with us. So again, I appreciate your, your time, your help, and we'll be talking with you pretty soon here. All right, Aaron. Stay safe. All right. Thanks, Herb. 